Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Welcome everybody to Nightlight. So glad that you could join us. We have a great show tonight. It's really an exciting one. And those of you who are into metaphysics as I am are going to be fascinated by it. First, I want to thank Ken Quiet Hawk for his amazing intro as always and send you to Google to look at look for him as a native storyteller. Native storytellers are age old. They have passed their cosmology and their histories and their theories and their stories generation to generation by telling stories around the campfire and in my belief system and and how I feel is that's the great way to pass history down because it keeps it alive for a lot longer than a dusty old textbook but that's just me so Ken Quiethawk Native Storytellers please check it out on Google tonight I've got RJ Spinner with me and he's written an amazing book and it's one that I think all of us need to pay attention to because it does give us better insight into ourselves. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's it's called it's it's a way to free yourself, find yourself, and heal yourself. Leave behind everything you think you know and discover how to manifest true healing. Sharing secrets he discovered through overcoming chest down paralysis and chronic illness, RJ Spinner reveals how to use energy healing to transcend suffering, find inner peace, and embrace the invincible self, and embrace the invincible self. This book presents a unique seven-step system that guides you through the process of energetic attunement and neural rewiring to support your wellness goals, such as those related to physical illness, pain, depression, anxiety, addiction, and so much more. Supercharged Self-Healing introduces you to the Ascend the Frequencies technique, which RJ and many of his clients have used to reprogram the self for optimal well-being. This revolutionary book provides the principles and techniques you need to access higher, excuse me, which you need to assess, access, 
the tongue just isn't is helping me tonight. Higher states of consciousness and channel energy in a way that turns off the program of illness. Hear what I said here, program of illness. Featuring visualizations, meditations, and mantra work, this essential guide helps you to escape the prison of your own ego and enjoy the good health and harmony that is your destiny. RJ is a metaphysical teacher and guide to over, who overcame chest down paralysis, diabetes, pancreatitis, Hashimoto's disease, and several other serious illnesses. He offers healing, counseling, meditation, and self-realization instruction throughout the world. It's an amazing book, and I think that it, it's one that we can all apply to ourselves in many different ways. So welcome to the show, RJ. I'm so glad you're with me tonight. Oh, it's my pleasure, and thank you very much for having me. Well, it's, you know, what what you offer in your book is something that I think so many people are looking for, but they, they don't even know it's there, and I think that that's one of the the, the biggest parts of your book, the the, um, the element of we have the power and we have the, the, the we have the energy within us to ascend the frequencies and, and to reprogram ourselves and to turn off programs that don't work for us and I don't think anybody really has ever thought of an illness as a program and yet it is yeah that, I mean that's been my uh, direct experience and understanding it's <clears throat> illnesses or disease are, are really sub programs of the major program that we run or limitation program that we run that I call the ego mind identity which is <clears throat> I like to say is a limitation program that runs by thinking. And so the ego mind identity is the human character that we create based upon reducing an, an immortal and unlimited being to just body consciousness, which is the total immersion with just the human experience. And then therefore we reduce ourselves to just five senses and the, in, and the intellect and whatever it is that we have identified ourselves with, this belief, that belief, this concept, that concept, this experience, that experience. And so we've completely limited an unlimited being. And by addressing the ego mind identity, which we do in the book, <clears throat> and learning how to go past it or transcend it, we're then able to start to access our own higher consciousness along with our complete and total body of energy, instead of just using our energy to think and emote and do, we can harness and target our energy specifically to repair and self-heal. I think the, the thing that came through to me strongest um, and, and that I finally sat back and said, he makes such great sense, and yet people talk this philosophy, but I don't think that, that everyone actually embraces it and lives it. You know, they'll say, oh, yeah, we're body, mind, and spirit. And, and the fact that body and mind and spirit are really separate entities almost. And, and that spirit is eternal and immortal, and that's what goes lifetime to lifetime to lifetime. And the, and the body and the mind are, are a one-shot deal this lifetime. And when you, when you really start to grasp the fact that the body is is just the vehicle that we are 
that our spirit is riding in at this moment in time, it's like a car. And and it's, it's a matter of we don't actually have the owner's manual, but, but internally we do, and certainly our spirit does because it's driven many different ones. But But I think we get so locked into the physicality of this lifetime that we forget it's it's merely a grain of sand on a beach you know it's it's so small compared to what our spirit has gone through will go through and and so it it, it that to me was the biggest aha moment in the book that you pointed out over and over and over and over again that that we are a separate entity almost, but we are riding in this physical body and we need to take care of it like you do a car. And yeah. um, so, so I, I know you had an incredible injury and and many illnesses on top of it just to put frosting on the cake, so to speak. Before Before you had this, aha moment because the universe always creates those aha moments for us to um, realize the greatness that is within us and utilize it what was your what, what were you doing with your life before this acts this this occurrence happened well <clears throat> we could start even um, as a kid uh, it okay. was very natural for me, um, without certainly without training, uh, without teaching, um, and, he, and without a developed enough intellect to even uh, really probably understand what I was doing. But quite naturally, with, and, and literally without effort, I would leave my body. So anytime I would sit down and relax, and sometimes it would be the moments before you're going to fall asleep as it you know just starts to... The, it starts to creep over you that you're just going to fall asleep. I would just sit there and I'd get very relaxed. And in a blink of an eye, I was literally my consciousness, my soul, my sentience, whatever word you want to use, was literally outside of my body. And I would just be standing or my consciousness would be outside just looking at my body. So this, this was occurring when I was a child. And it continued to occur. And actually it still occurs. At least now I can command it and control it. So I, I knew, uh, Barbara, from, from being a child, I knew what I was. I knew that I was spirit. And it was undeniable because my spirit could go anywhere, and I certainly wasn't the body because I would just look at my body. So I never had to struggle or, or come to the realization of that because you could say I came into this incarnation with a certain level of uh, detachment. And clearly I was detached from my body because so, I would just leave it with, without a problem. And that was really the beginning. I mean, I grew up doing that. And, and like I said, I still do it and I teach it. So I also used to say, for what it's worth, that if I ever get sick, I'll just heal myself, which, you know, clearly, you know, on the, right, on the surface, that's, you know, that's crazy. What a, and, and what, you know, what kid says that? Uh, so I knew it was in me. Um, you could call it a talent or ability or, or remembering, which is, and I call it a muscle memory because I knew it was in me. So I used to even say that as a kid. And my last name, Spina, means spine. And, of course, I became paralyzed in this life. So, I mean, all of these things are, are mapped out. This is part of my life plan. My life plan was to obviously become very ill, to experience uh, per so-called permanent chest-down paralysis as well as severe chronic illness and life-threatening conditions, 
And the challenge that I gave myself, that, that I accepted wholeheartedly, was to literally put a destroyed body back together. And I, I knew I would. I knew I could. And everyone can do it. Um, and then to be able to relay the, the metaphysics. So, and that's why I wrote the book and created a, a mobile app so everyone can be able to do this. The, I think the real difference uh, with this information, this higher knowledge, uh, higher consciousness, you could even call it God consciousness if you want, um, where it's different is that I believe it goes a, a bit further in terms of the understanding of illness and self-healing, how it really works. And the other difference is, is that I'm the embodiment of this. Because it's not something that I've theorized or thought about. I, I have done it, and I knew it as a child that I, if I ever got sick, I would just heal myself. So I, I'm able to be this, uh, we'll call it wisdom if you want. I'm able to actually be this wisdom, the embodiment of the wisdom. And this way people can see it. It's tangible. It's embodied within me. And then I was able to actually do it. As I said that I would, I told everyone I would heal myself. I told everyone I'd walk in 100 days. I videotaped everything because I knew no one would believe that this was possible, but I knew I could do it. I said I would do it, and I explained how I would do it. Now, what's important about that is that me overcoming permanent chest down paralysis is now everyone else's permission slip to do the impossible for themselves now that they have the blueprint, which is why I wrote the book. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a great testimony to... to how one can overcome something like that. I know, I think I told you when we spoke before, maybe I didn't, but I was a long time ago diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, and it was severe. And they told me that I was going to die of this. And, you know, I, my response was, no, I'm not going to die. I have too much to do. And, you know, mm -hmm. Then they said, you know, well, wait a minute, you're in denial. You have to understand you're going to die of this. This is what's going to happen. And I said, no, it's not, because I'm not going to die. And I know my mother wanted to take me to a shrink right away. And I said to her, look, I, <laughs> I, I, said, I, I understand that I have something that is making me not well, and I understand that, that there's stuff I have to do to, you know, to fight it you know, medically, but I have too much to do. The, I, I refuse to die. And, you know, here we are 40 years later. They gave me, they gave me six months, and, and I don't have ulcerative colitis. I have no sign of it. And it was a matter mm -hmm. of, you know, I, I refuse to accept this in my life. Now, I mean, there were things I did, too. I mean, I'm not going to say it just suddenly went away. It did not suddenly go away. And I did adjust diet, and, you know, there, there are lots of things I did because physically my body needed something different. But I just refused it. And, and you know, I, I don't think it's quite the same thing that you did, but it, it worked for me. Um, but if somebody's diagnosed with something, you can't just say, I'm not going to accept this. There are things you have to do to change your life in order to make it easy for it to happen. In other words, clear the channel for wholeness to come through. And I did become involved in metaphysics, and I did become involved in meditation, and I did become involved in um, a lot of the different methodologies that you used. So you did it much more intelligently, and you probably did it a lot faster than I did. But it's something that, that 
that people can learn to do and and apply to their lives and have full rich wonderful lives and and i i found i found your book just a, an amazing approach to this whole technique and um it, you you call your technique ascend the fre- frequencies are right, and I think maybe people don't understand what the frequencies were that you were talking about. Sure, yeah, yeah. And and um exactly Barbara by the way, everyone can do this because it's actually metaphysics. It's it's how things actually are instead of what we're told to believe. Right? So uh, and you're, you're proof of that. I'm proof of that. All the, the, I think at this point, maybe thousands of people that I've helped are also proof of that. This is a much deeper, holistic understanding of what is, as opposed to here are your limitations. Here are the beliefs and concepts that you're going to have to work with. That stuff is nonsense, and you did the right thing. You never accepted it. You never took it on. And so you were detached from the identification with it. And we'll probably end up talking more about that because that's a very, very important thing. Detachment, I feel, is the first step towards being able to work with yourself properly because we're not the mind-body complex. Just like, just like the sun is not touched or affected by all the bad weather that goes on. It doesn't matter how cloudy it is, how rainy or sleet or snow or a hurricane or a tornado. None of those things touch the sun. And we are, what we really are, our sentience, our consciousness, is untouched by whatever goes on with the body-mind complex. Completely and utterly untouched. It is immortal. It is pristine. It is whole. It is complete. And it doesn't matter what happens with the body-mind, just like it doesn't matter what happens with the weather. It never touches the sun. And what goes on with the body-mind never touches what we really are. Having that tangible recognition allows us to give us some space between what we are and the body-mind. So we have a level of detachment. So it's no longer complete identification, thinking that your body-mind, and then saying, I have cancer, I am paralyzed, I am a, a diabetic. Okay, no. What you are is something completely different than the body-mind. You're deep inside the body between the heart and the spine, and you're the awareness of it. And when we have that detachment, that space, we start to create space. In that space, now we got room to work, and that's really the uh-huh. key. So, in, in terms of frequencies, so uh, we exist. You and I, right now, we are existing in. I know what people call the third dimension. We're in a three-dimensional reality, and it is three-dimensional. But energy exists in frequency, or or frequentially. So, energy does not exist dimensionally. It exists frequentially. And frequencies are housed by dimensions. Dimensions are just like a unit of measure, like height, weight, and width. And dimensions house the frequencies. So we exist frequentially. Energy exists within frequency. And so we are within the third frequency, not the third dimension. It's just an experience of three-dimensional height, weight. The first thing to understand is frequency. And by raising our frequency, and so you can think of meditation, by raising the electromagnetic frequency of your brain, just like you would take a radio, turn the dial, and before it was on 95.9 and you were listening to jazz, and then you turn the dial, you raise it, and you go to 97.5, 
and now all of a sudden it's rock and roll. You changed the frequency, the radio wave frequency, and all of a sudden you accessed and experienced a whole different set of information. Now it's all of a sudden it's a completely different music. Okay. So we do the same thing. We just don't realize that we're doing this. So through meditation, and the book teaches various ways to meditate, you actually turn your dial, just like you're turning a dial on a radio, you change the electromagnetic frequency of your brain, and you can raise it to go into a higher frequency state. <clears throat> and higher frequency states, by definition, harmonize and are more powerful than lower frequencies. Higher frequency energy is simply more powerful. It's more holistic. And when you access higher frequency states of consciousness, you are automatically healing and harmonizing low frequency disharmony. And that's the disharmony that exists within our body of energy and our physical body. So by learning how to go up in frequency and channeling energy and working with energy that exists in a higher state and is more potent and more powerful, and we access it and utilize it and target it, we're then able to heal, repair, and harmonize the low-frequency disharmony that we experience mentally, emotionally, and physically. Now, with your frequencies, I, I know you you do go into the chakra systems. Does that have anything to do with the chakra systems, the different frequencies that with each of the chakras? Yeah, absolutely. So... <clears throat> Uh, each one of our uh, chakras is, is operating at a slightly different uh, bandwidth or a slightly different frequency. And so what we really want to do is to go up in frequency and essentially really as high up as we can go. And the book shows you meditations to go to supreme states of consciousness. When you're in these supreme states of consciousness, I'd like to say that you're at the creator level or the etch-a-sketch level because the higher consciousness is the architect of our form and the chemist of our biology. So if you want to put yourself back together and repair yourself, you want to go to the blueprint level. Just like, you know, with a house, you, you first do the blueprint. So we want to do this consciously, energetically, or frequentially, and go to a higher state of consciousness where the energy is more more powerful, and we can literally put ourselves back together. Now, another way to look at that is accessing the energies that are outside of physical sensory perception, commanding them and accessing them and utilizing them, you can really say that's magic because that's really what magic is. We're accessing the energies that are outside of physical sensory perception. So now magic to me is what I did, but in plainer terms, magic is metaphysics. So it's what exists yeah. beyond physical sensory perception. So magic to me is metaphysics, and when we operate properly by doing the ascent of frequencies healing technique, we're doing magic, but what we're really doing is accessing metaphysics, and the metaphysics is what is universal. So what works for RJ is going to work for my neighbor, it's going to work for everybody, because it, it is what is, and this is the introduction to using metaphysics for our own self-healing and self-realization. You know, when, when you were talking, when I was reading the book and you were talking about frequencies, Two things came to mind. One was solfeggio music, and um, and how that's a frequency-based harmonic that you can surround mm -hmm. yourself with and, and utilize to sort of um, resonate with. And the other thing was I kept seeing the Coral Castle in in Florida. Are you familiar with it? Yes. 
And the man who designed it and who built it did not use any tools or anything like that, but he was able to move these incredibly huge and, and very, very heavy stones to create literally a castle for the woman that he loved who never turned up. But, um, but and, and all I could think of was I somehow was he emitting a frequency that enabled him to lessen the density of the stone and move it and, and is this a case where frequency could fr- frequencies could have been used to do um incredible feats of strength yeah i mean that's that's exactly right that's how we got stonehenge yeah so it's it's the it's the exact same metaphysics and 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 actually merlin is the one that did that by the way so he he understood obviously he understood how to do magic or work metaphysics really so Part of that has to do with uh, – I don't want to go too, too deep because then it just becomes, oh, this is, this is almost too inaccessible. But by removing a certain element or a molecule out of something, you greatly lessen it. And so by removing it, it, it becomes nowhere near as heavy or as dense. And then you, you remove that and you're able to move these what would be tremendously heavy objects because while you're moving them, they're no longer heavy. And then once yeah. they've been moved, you then sort of yeah, then you sort of put it back to the way it was. But that's just another level of it. And this is um, you know also a tangible understanding of mine in terms of how that works. Is I am able to see these things, obviously now with my physical eyes, but I'm able to see these things yeah. through, through my higher mind. But the vibration that we create by going up in frequency, it changes everything. We don't we don't do this, Barbara, because we've locked ourselves into body consciousness. We're identifying with the physical body and the physical body is attuned and part of the local environment. Now the, the physical senses only operate on a narrow, narrow, narrow bandwidth. So the physical senses only pick up 0.003 of what is actually in the quantum field. So if you, if you think about it, 0.003, that's, that's nothing, right? I mean, essentially it's nothing. So, that's the data that comes in that forms the intellect. That's the data that we use to form concepts, ideologies, and beliefs. So in other words, they're nothing. They're absolutely nothing. And so by, by shedding identification with these things, they no longer become our limitation. So now we're not bound by this infinitesimal understanding of things. And by opening up our higher mind through the exercises in the book, we literally start to experience more of ourselves and more of the greater reality. And so when we start to develop a completely different understanding of things by doing this, and then we do completely different exercises and protocols, we get completely different results. Yeah, I've often told people that that to get to a point where you can utilize that level of energy within yourself, you go from a black and white world to a technicolor world. And um, it, it does give you a greater vibrancy of understanding and experience within your physical reality. Um, and it's... it's yeah. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It changes everything. So it, it's kind of funny. The, the outside world doesn't change. It's just your perception and understanding of it does, right? Yeah. And so, and, but, and it's the same thing, Barbara, with the body-mind, right? 
So when we start to operate that way, not only do we see the world differently and see our friends and family and everything differently, you can actually go a little further within yourself and you can actually see your body-mind complex differently. And once you start to, as I said before, once you start to have a different understanding of things and then you do different things because of your different understanding, you're going to get different results. I, I promise you, it's not that far off in the future where everyone is going to be doing this because this is metaphysics. Most people really feel, just like yourself, most people feel they can heal themselves. They might not be able to explain it in the way that I explain it. That doesn't matter. Most people feel it. They know it. They know that they can do it. They feel like they should be able to heal themselves, that they can heal themselves because it's a memory. Just like I said when uh-huh. I was a kid, if I ever get sick, I'll just heal myself. So we have done this before. We have absolutely done this before in much older civilizations. Ancient Egypt was absolutely one of the civilizations where people would do things like this. It wasn't weird that someone was sick and really unhealthy, and they would simply meditate, access their higher consciousness, move energy, and all of a sudden they would feel infinitely better because everyone feels this within themselves that they should be able to heal themselves because they've done it. And so hopefully... All this is, like I said, it's a muscle memory for me. I said it as a kid. I just remembered. And when I woke up from emergency life-saving surgery, the veil, we could say, of, of, that was covering the uh, conscious uh, access to the metaphysics itself had been removed. It's like someone pulled the curtain aside. And so all of a sudden I was like, oh, my, of course, I remember, I remember. And I literally, believe it or not, in the ICU – I woke up, I remember, because I looked at the clock, it was 3 o'clock in the morning, the ICU nurse was just outside, and as soon as I woke up and turned my head, I could tell she was kind of waiting to see if I woke up. She came in, asked if I'm okay, et cetera, et cetera. I'm telling you within five minutes, I literally started explaining to her that I was going to heal myself and how I was going to do it, because the curtain had been pulled back. It's like I remembered. I knew exactly what to do. I told everyone what I, I would do it. I explained it in detail. I videotaped myself, because I knew no one would, would believe it's possible, and then I, I literally said in 100 days, I'll walk unassisted, and I videotaped it. On the 100th day, I walked unassisted. Phenomenal. I, I, I think that, you know, your story, unfortunately, is unique. And fortunately, it's out there because it, it's a matter of it's, it's, just, it's just reprogramming yourself. And... And I think what what really happens is that, that we get so caught up in the intellect and what people have told us and what we're taught to believe that we don't understand that, that there is such a wide spectrum out there beyond what, what I, I don't want to say lies, but what untruths have been said to us. And, and it's a matter of, you know, okay, um, I have allergies. And I have chosen to not be affected by them. My throat hasn't. But, you know, it, it's sort of like <laughs> I must do some more work on my throat. But but it's it's sort of like, you know, it's not a big deal. And, and you know, we'll just work our way through it. And I'm going to ignore it because sooner or later it's going to go away. But But it's sort of like I like my analogy of a car. And it may have been your analogy. And I may have just taken it on. But, um you, you you know when something is wrong with your car, you have it analyzed and they and they tell you what it is and then they fix it 
they tell you how they're going to fix it or replace what part, and certainly we're not going to replace body parts. But it, it's to me, it's it's you know, you talk about sickness and Ill, Ill health and depression and all of those um, things that that we have to overcome. Where do they come from? For the most part, we don't catch them. They just seem to already be installed, and it's it's a matter that they just suddenly are are processing in our intellect. It's it's like if you t- said you've been exposed to uh, COVID, and because you've been exposed, you're going to get it. Well, if I bought that, then maybe I would. But I mean, where does sickness, where does ill health, where does depression, where does it come from? Mm, yeah. Okay. Great. Great question. And uh, just before that, though, yeah, we've reduced ourselves to the rational mind, which is zero point zero zero three of what is. And that's uh-huh. uh, for everyone listening and going to listen. That's super important. That we are reducing ourselves to just what I call body consciousness. We are not tapping into our own creativity, our own higher mind, our own imagination. We're leaving ninety nine point nine nine seven on the table. Okay, and so that that's why that's why people have lost touch with healing themselves. This book gives you permission to go back into your higher mind and put yourself back together. Okay, so where does sickness and disease come from, right? Okay, that I mean that that's the question, right? So nothing. <clears throat> well, let's start off by saying, Barbara, nothing originates in the physical. Everything is projected from higher frequencies and higher dimensions. Okay, we don't originate here. We're projected here. Uh, we call that incar- birth or reincarnation, really. But we are projected here. Everything is projected here, and everything originates from from up on high. If you want to say that? I could also go into great detail about where do things actually do originate in terms of frequency and dimension. But the point is, is that nothing originates here, including sickness and disease. So where does it come from? It has to do all disharmony comes from disharmonious thought patterns. So we put ourselves out of whack, okay? All this disharmony is from disharmonious thought patterns, and all thinking is in context to our identifications. We can only think in context to what we have identified ourselves with. And that's why in the book, as you know, I talk a lot about in the beginning the ego-mind identity, identification, right? So we, the character, the human character that we create, right? We come down here, we, it's, almost like, it's almost like waking up with total amnesia at the bottom of the ocean in a diving suit. You don't know how you got there. You don't know who you are. You don't know where you are. You don't know what the point is, and you don't know what to do. Total amnesia in a foreign environment. You literally wake up at the bottom of the ocean in some kind of diving suit. That's a fairly good analogy for what it's like through incarnation or reincarnation. You arrive here because you traveled, you came down in dimension and frequency, you're losing consciousness, you're losing the connectivity to where you come from and what you're connected to. And when you arrive here, you kind of arrive here deaf, dumb, and blind. We don't know who we are, what we're doing here, how we got here, what we're supposed to do, or what the point is. Now, because we've lost connection with an inner knowingness of who we are and what we are and where we come from, we replace those things with beliefs. 
and we replace them with a character that we create. And the human character is the ego mind identity. Now, plain and simple, that's not what we are. So we literally reprogram the mind-body complex totally out of whack with what we really are, spirit, divinity, sentience, higher consciousness, a fractal of God. We completely and utterly abandon that, and we literally reprogram our mind with first the identification that I am this physical being, we're not, and then we start identifying with what the five senses start to pick up. We pick disbelief, this concept, maybe our parents force it on us, or school, it doesn't matter. But we just start choosing and identifying, and we create a false character. This is the ego mind identity. That ego mind identity is so out of congruence with what we really are, we literally reprogram our body and the mind and limit it to everything that's here. And so we actually create. Sickness and disease are sub-programs of our main program, which is the ego-mind identity. And it is the transcendence of lower consciousness or the rational mind by ascending the frequencies and accessing your higher mind and your ability as an immortal creator to literally put yourself back together and no longer run this limiting program of who you think you are and how you feel about yourself that had nothing to do with you before you got here. When you slide into this suit, all these beliefs, all these concepts, and even the body, you had nothing to do with it, absolutely nothing to do with it. Then you get here, you completely identify with yourself with that, and we literally stop our own body's program of self-repair and self-healing because we're taking in all this information, all these concepts, all these beliefs that have nothing to do with what is, and we lose the ability to let the body self-heal on its own, and we're certainly not taught any, well, now we're changing it, but we're certainly not taught any of the higher metaphysics or, or higher consciousness that I teach that's in the book that gives us back our power as an immortal creator being to put ourselves back together. So all sickness, all disease are subsets or sub-programs, and symptoms is, is, is actually just the program running itself. It's like, oh, I have these symptoms. I have pain in my stomach. Or I have this or that. That's the program running. And it is a subset of the disharmonious thought patterns that we have created that are completely inauthentic and not congruent to what we really are. Makes you wonder if maybe there's been a mistake made and our spirit was supposed to be someplace else. Uh, it, would, it, it would certainly seem that way, right? But the, the, the point is, is to come here, let's think of the term self-realization, right? So, and okay. self-realization is another, word, it's another word for enlightenment. They really, from, Barbara, from my perspective, they're the, they're the same thing, okay? Self-realization yeah. and enlightenment are the same. Okay, so let's think about that term, though, self-realization, to realize the self, okay? And okay. every religion... They all say the same thing. What is the ultimate? What is the pinnacle? Well, enlightenment, self-realization, right? They all say that. The ultimate is to, is to experience, we can call it Christ consciousness, Buddha consciousness. It doesn't matter because we're talking about the same thing, right? But they all say that that's the ultimate. That's the pinnacle, to become enlightened, to become self-realized, to realize mm -hmm. yourself. The self is what we're talking about. The realignment 
consciously with what we really are allows us to transcend the limitations of the human condition. Just like any enlightened being, once we truly realize the self, which means the conscious recognition, now once the conscious mind is attuned to the self, the body then must have that experience. So in other other words, whatever conceptualized reality that we create for ourselves, the body then has the tangible experience of that. That's the body-mind connection in one sentence. Now, most of us have now realized that if we're stressing ourselves out, you know, we're anxious, this and that, we kind of know we're making ourselves sick. We, most of us now know this. We're not taking care of ourselves. We're anxious. We're all over the place. We actually make ourselves sick. That's absolutely right. Whatever conceptualized reality we create for ourselves, the body has the tangible experience of that. Now what I want humanity to understand is that it works the other way as well. So if you create an incredible, expanded state of consciousness, your body's going to have the tangible experience of that as well. And when you're in an expanded state of consciousness to realize the self, the body then must heal itself because it must coincide with the conceptualized reality that you've created for yourself. So this is part of how healing works. When we move past the limitations, the beliefs, the concepts, and we expand our mind, all of a sudden the body starts to have that experience. So if we take this to the highest levels, dare I say, we can take a totally destroyed, paralyzed, sick, completely non-functional body and literally put it right back together. Hmm. It does It does make you kind of sit back and, and, and question. One would think that our ego was was the guy looking out for us, and yet it seems as though our ego is what is restricting us more than anything else. Completely. So absolutely. Now, the, the ego or ego mind identity, EMI is what I call it, because I just, I just feel it's a little more accurate, and I explain it in the book, because it has to do with your, your identity, who you really think you are as well, and then right. how your mind act, how your mind processes things in accordance with your identifications, ego mind identity. So, but yes, now, the ego is necessary, even after saying all that, right, the ego is necessary, and now <clears throat> I'll explain, because we said before, Barbara, the body is part of and attuned to the local environment, Earth, right? It's part of it, which is why we slide right. into it and slide of it. Yeah, and the body just stays here, right? Because it's literally part of physical reality. It's a suit that's part of uh, physicality, part, part of the local environment. Okay. Now, no matter how evolved, how enlightened, you know, uh, how saintly, how pure, however you want to say it, it doesn't matter how pure, how saintly, how evolved the being is. And I'm including Christ, Buddha, St. Germain, Yogananda, you name it, okay? Ascended Masters. It's impossible to be 100% egoless. Because if we were, you wouldn't be able to stay here. You would literally just eject right out of your body. So the ego does serve a purpose, okay? It serves a purpose because, it's one, it's something to transcend. But, two, it's also necessary to be anchored here. So no matter how evolved, how humble, how it doesn't matter, there's still some ego because there has to be. Uh, I experimented with this a while ago. 
And as you, you get close enough to annihilating everything, you literally eject yourself out of your body. I did it twice, and I was like, okay, I'm just – there's no point in that because I need to be here. So that's, that's what keeps us here. The key, Barbara, is to tell the ego, get in the back seat, keep your hands to yourself, don't grab the wheel. I'm the one driving the incarnation. So we want the soul, the sentience, the love and wisdom that we really are. We want that driving the incarnation and realizing that there's a small amount of ego that must remain here. But what we really want to do is tell the ego, get in the back seat, keep your hands to yourself, shut your mouth. I'm not interested in the back seat driving. I'm the one that's doing the incarnation. And from my perspective, and it's a bit of a silly analogy, but that's really how I see it. And, and so we have to have the ego, but it, it shouldn't really interfere with the incarnation. Yeah, I um, I have a different way of saying it, but it's the same thing. When when I do um, when I do any channeled work or any readings or anything of a creative nature, I basically literally tell my ego to go to the movies, get out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 when I hear a door slam, I know I'm fine. You know, um, I'm sure it peaks a lot, but but it's it's. It's a, it's an intentional physical thing. Get out of my way. I need a different channel, and um, you know I probably could have put it much more spiritually, but but that's what happens. It's like okay, I'm gonna get into the zone and I'm gonna do something, and I need that spiritual energy that is inside of me. But my ego's in the way. You're saying, you sure you want to go there today? You know, <laughs> it's like yeah, <laughs> get out. <laughs> But but yeah, yeah. and everybody will have, you know, everybody will have their own way of doing it. But that's essentially, I think, what you're saying in a much better way than I do. It, it, it Barbara, it's the same thing, right? That's that's the flavor in which you express it. My flavor is the way I express it. Uh, lots of other people that have worked with themselves in this way might, have, you know, use a different analogy. But it's the same thing. It's the exact same thing. And and I I don't want any of this to to come across as is too unachievable are too difficult because it's not. So the one thing I want to point out is what's very popular today is to talk about the flow state, right, to be in the flow state, in the zone, right? Athletes talk uh-huh. about being in the zone, right? Okay. And anytime we're going to do something ultra-creative, right, like if you're going to channel or uh, anytime we do anything creative, by the way, we're putting ourselves in yeah. the flow state. Now, really what we're talking about is losing the rational mind or the ego mind identity. So, and just like you described about telling it to go to the movies, I describe it by getting the back seat and shut up. Someone else would describe it in another. It's the same thing, right? So this flow state, this is everyone's natural state. When you are totally engrossed and totally engulfed in what you're doing, and I don't care what it is, cooking, gardening, writing a book, channeling, a dancing, it, it, does, it, really, it literally it doesn't matter. When you're engrossed, totally engaged in what you're doing, think about it. You lose yourself in it. What is it that you're actually losing? The ego, mind, identity, the separation. Exactly. You're losing the – that's what gets lost. So now you are, quote, unquote, flowing. You're flowing with what you're doing. Anyone who's played sports has, you know, has experienced this. And like I said, really any creative endeavor. So – 
this is not some highfalutin, only a weirdo like RJ or whatever can do. It's nonsense because <laughs> it's, our natu- it's, it's our natural state. It literally is. The key is to lose the finite mind or the separation, which is the ego mind identity, which is a false character. So when you lose that, you're in the flow state. And when you're in the flow state, Everything is available to you because everything is connected. You no longer have set up a separate block, the ego mind identity. So when you remove that, you're in flow. And when you're in flow, I really mean it. Everything is accessible to you, including your higher mind, your higher consciousness, higher frequency energy, talking directly to God. All of these things are back online, literally. And once those things are back online, which is really what we are and how we normally operate, putting ourselves back together Overcoming sickness and disease, everyone is going to remember, oh, yeah, of course I can do this. Once you start doing oh, yeah. it, it will come back. It'll come back. And everyone, well, yeah. everyone, everyone can do it. I, I tell people that if you're doing something that you're so absorbed in that you're not thinking, you're meditating. And, yep. you know, I know gardeners that are that way. Um, I do, I have done. <clears throat> Not lately, but I have done needlepoint and pettipoint and knitting and all sorts of things like that where there is there is a routine that, that your physicality goes through, but your mind is not involved in it. And that's when inspiration really, really hits. Yeah, that, that's it. You got it. And that's why I call the ego mind identity a limitation program that runs by thinking. That's why I call it that. Because that's exactly what it is. It's a looped program of your identification. And so when you stop think, doing that, hence that, yeah, go ahead. No, I think in some place in your book, do you talk about the um, empty mind meditation? Yeah, a- a- absolutely. I mean, one of the things that uh, I found remarkable um, in this in this lifetime is how many people have come to me and, and said, uh, RJ, I cannot meditate. I have tried and tried and tried. I can't do it. It's too hard. My my monkey mind takes over. You know, I can't do it. I try and try and it just doesn't happen, right? And and hopefully this book, among other things, there are several things in there, Barbara, about how to meditate, and, and I mean it in a second, how to completely clear yeah. your mind. It, so we're we're at a point in our evolution that we can do these things immediately, okay? We don't have to go into our bedroom and – Turn on our music and light our incense and get our crystals. And if you if yeah. you want to do that, that's cool. I mean, I got incense and I got crystals too. But what I'm saying is, meditation, the self, what we are, is meditation. We uh-huh. exist before thinking. We exist before emoting. We exist before the body. So all we have to do is to return to what we are, and it's effortless. And the book, you know, here, here's one right now. Okay, pretend. That you just arrived here. No past, no future. The mind goes blank. Uh The mind literally goes blank. You can't think without the concepts of a past and a future. You literally can't. Because thinking is the movement of the past. So when you pretend that you just arrived here, no past, no future, you are meditating. So it's instantaneous, okay, because the truth doesn't require your participation. 
A dog doesn't have to try to be a dog. It's a dog. You don't have to try to be your, your, right? You don't have to try to be yourself. You are yourself. All your effort is in trying to be something that you're not, your ego, mind, identity. And and that's what makes us sick. And that's what prevents self-realization. And that's what prevents imagination, creativity, reunion with God, being able to talk to your guides and helpers and guardian angels. Wouldn't people love to do that? Study the stuff in this book. All these things start to open back up again. So instantaneous meditation is something that I feel is a big deal because so many people have come to me saying, I can't meditate, I can't meditate. Yes, you can. You can do it in a second, and I'll show you how. So anyone who's struggling with meditation, who wants to start a mindfulness practice, forget about that you have cancer or diabetes or paralysis and you need to heal yourself. Anyone who even just wants to start a mindfulness practice and has had trouble with the meditating, pick up the book. You're going to learn how to meditate, and I mean it, in a second. I call these things magic tricks because (laughs) what they do is they they move the energy immediately. They move the energy, Barbara, out of the mental body and out of the emotional body. And when there's no energy in the mental body, you can't think. When there's no energy in the emotional body, you can't emote. And now you're fully present. Also, meditation. It's that easy. It's that simple. We can now do it in a second. It's the simplest thing in the world. It really is. And so many people, I I know people will tell me, well, I was just sitting there and I was floating and a at one point, it felt like there was a lifting and everything, and I, and I thought, is this meditation? And then the answer was, no, nope, you're thinking. And you know, <laughs> it, it takes you right out. Yeah, the, I call it clicking. The, the, I, yeah, I call it. I, I call it clicking in. And you know, when I when I want to get to that place, it's I click in, and there I am. And there's no thinking yeah. because it's. It it becomes so familiar that you go there without thinking, and the reality is you can't think you can't think to it. You have to let go to get to it. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like you have to get in to get out. Yeah. <laughs> Which you know, it sounds like an oxymoron, but it, it isn't. It sounds like it, but yeah, it, it is. What we are, the self, the sentience, is meditation. We exist prior to thought. Thought is something that thoughts, we create thoughts, which is why the, we're the awareness of thoughts. We create them. You could even say, it's an analogy, okay? If we have a, a, a light bulb, right, and it's, it's plugged in, etc., and we turn on the light bulb, right, and the, the light emanates from the light bulb, okay? The electricity is going through it, and so then it shines. It lights up. Okay. Now, if that stays on, that light bulb gets hot, right? We've all touched a, a, you know, a hot light bulb that's been on for a half hour, oh, yeah. whatever. Okay. Now, Barbara, the heat is the discharge, okay? It's the discharge. It's, it's not the function, and it's not what the light actually is. It's the discharge from the light. The heat is the discharge. Okay. Start to see thinking and emoting as discharge from the self. It's not what the self is. It's discharge when the self gets engaged. There's a discharge that happens, and it's thought, it's emotions. Bodily, there's a discharge that happens, but it's not what the light is. You are the light itself, not what gets discharged. You are not the thoughts. You're not the emotions. You are what comes before that. 
And when we start to recognize this tangibly, not just intellectually, understanding it intellectually is worthless. We're not the, we're not the body-mind. You have to yeah. tangibly experience this, experientially feel this, tangibly. And then when you do, it literally, that wisdom, that knowledge, that gnosis becomes part of you. It is now part of you. It's not a mental memory. It's now part of your consciousness. And then you embody it. And that's the difference between knowledge or so-called knowledge, which are simply justified beliefs, and gnosis, which is self-knowledge, knowledge of the self. The self is immortal. The self is the only one reality. So as we merge ourselves with teachings, like in this book, you merge yourself with it. It becomes part of you forever. And that's gnosis. And then you're able to do this whenever you need to. And rather than trying to memorize something and put yourself through mental machinations and all these kind of things, healing does not come from mental machinations. Healing does not come from believing. Healing does not come from thinking. It happens before all of those things. It happens when we realign ourselves with ourselves, which, which is perfection, divinity, harmony. It's what exists before there's any discharge. And when we don't identify with the discharge, we will remain the light that we actually are. So there's so our brains, they say, we use, uh, used to be 6%, now it's 15%. It's said that we use 15% of our brain. What's the rest of it for? <laughs> yeah, so the, the rest of it for is part of it, not certainly not all of it, but part of it is the stuff that we're talking about, about raising the electromagnetic frequency of our brain to be able to experience these higher frequencies and higher dimensions and the myriad of, of realities that exist. Now, these higher frequencies and higher dimensions are packed with with the information that's not here, higher information, higher knowledge, actual wisdom. Our physical eyes cannot perceive wisdom. The higher mind can. So when we start to work uh -huh. with ourselves properly, more, more of the brain will start to get, but it's the sentience, what we are, that actually unlocks it, and it, it unlocks it through working with the sentience directly through meditation. And that is actually what unlocks the potential within our DNA. Sentience directs it. Everything comes back to sentience, which is what we really are, the self, sentience. That's what unlocks the DNA. And accessing more of our sentience will actually give us more access to aspects of the brain to be able to perceive higher frequential states of consciousness. Now, I mean, you, you talk DNA and ge that's genetics. Can we change it? Can we alter it? Uh, absolutely. I mean, there's studies already that have been done uh, they've, they've proven, scientists, believe it or not, have already proven that meditation changes the, uh, certain aspects of our DNA. I mean, they've already, they've already proven that. The telomeres change, the DNA changes through these deep states, these deep theta states of consciousness, meditation. So, yeah, we can ask, I changed my DNA. I mean, I absolutely did. Of course, type 1 diabetic, I don't take any, uh, any uh, insulin. That's impossible, right? That's so-called impossible. No, it's not. When you, when you have a different understanding, you do different things, you get different results. We change our DNA all the time. We just don't realize it. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it a step further. I don't want to get it too complicated. DNA is nothing. Everything comes from the energetic templates, which are related to the chakras. So the energetic okay. templates are the, are the building blocks of our form and function. 
So what you want to do is be able to alter your consciousness to go to the building blocks of form and function, make the alterations there. That eventually gets translated and then expressed through changes within the DNA. So if I wanted to make my eyes blue instead of green, I could do that. At a certain level of consciousness, it is possible. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Is that easy to do? No. Was it, was it easy to unparalyze myself? No. But it can be done through focused intention, dedication, and a higher state of consciousness. There's no limitation. Think of your imagination. Does your imagination have any limitations? No. Right? Of course not. No, of course not. So, therefore, neither do you. Only, only unless your, your imagination is wounded and limited. So if, you're, if your imagination, if you're able to access it, it is unlimited. So is your ability to create. My ability to put myself back together had to do with my higher mind and my imagination to open myself up to what is possible. And what is possible is everything. But that's only through imagination and the higher mind. The rational mind is limitation itself. The rational mind is constructed and exists based upon the narrow bandwidth of our five sensory perceptions. So if you're going to try to use the intellect or the finite mind to put yourself back together, you can't. You cannot. Because the building blocks of form and function lie outside frequentially of the rational mind. So that's like asking cancer to cure itself. Right? So it's never going to happen. but if you were you if you were going to use a ma- a mantra mm-hmm. that's using the physical mind and repeating the mantra over and over and over again is that in some way changing you spiritually or b- because ma- mantras work um absolutely yeah yeah and, well, and that's that's, that, that's a thinking process Okay, yeah, so I, my perspective is that that is a creative process that we then use to train the rational mind. So okay. for me, the conception, yeah, the conception and inception of the mantra has to do with your creativity and imagination. And that's actually what I'm talking about, that it has to start there, because that, that's where all possibilities exist. So when we actually create a mantra, we're not using a rational mind, we're using our creativity or our higher mind. Right. And then we use that. Right. So that, so that, I mean, that's how I see it. So then that gets fed to the rational mind. And like we said, whatever conceptualized reality that you create for yourself, your body then has the tangible experience of that. That is actually why mantras work. And as you know, I talk about prayer, affirmations, mantras. I even give uh-huh. mantras for people to use. Prayers, affirmations, mantras, and commands, which I'm a big fan of because I like magic. So those are the things <laughs> that they... That they're first born, Barbara, from the imagination, right? For you to create uh, an affirmation, you have to create it. You have to imagine it into reality. So higher mind, rational mind, and then the body then has the tangible experience of the conceptualized reality that we created for yourself. And you're right. They are extremely potent. I, I mean, I used one um, in the hospital rehab while I was there. It was really one mantra that I used over and over again, and that was, I am the conqueror of my mind and body. And I would say that to myself and connect with each one of – I would connect with the meaning of each one of those words. You feel so powerful because it's true. 
the the the, oh, yeah. the, the state yeah the state of being it allow it gives your you're giving yourself permission to do the impossible and that's essentially what this book is. Well, it's an incredible book. I I thoroughly enjoyed reading it, and you know there, there's a lot that you know you know things, but then knowing isn't the important part. It's embracing and integrating it into the totality of who you are. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you know you, you, anybody can read the book and take notes, and that's great, but. Are you going to use it? Are you going to practice it? Are you going to apply it to your life? That's a whole other pot of pot of whatever. Um, and I and I have found that that when when you want to make changes in your life, it 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 starts at a very you know basic level. But in order to make things happen, and and <clears throat> and before I say anything else, I want to I want to put a put a sort of a disclaimer in. You can change yourself totally. You don't really have the power to change another person. Mm-hmm. That's up to yeah, the other it, person. You you got it and right right. I mean it's called it's called self mastery, not mastering others, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean it's it's kind of like I I was talking to somebody about this topic and they said, well, you mean I can make my boyfriend love me? And I said, no, <laughs> but if you change yourself, he will have to then change the way he treats you or is functional with you. So in that mm-hmm. way, you can change other people, but you have to change yourself first. And once you've done that, if you've changed, if you've done a good job, you may not want him. So you know, be careful what you wish for. Yeah, and and you're right, Barbara. It's the full integration, right? So. Um, it's not just mentally knowing. I mean, we're not our thoughts, so it's, it's it's it doesn't mean anything. If someone says to me, "Oh, I understand," nah, that doesn't mean anything, right? So, so it's kind of like if someone understands um, the physics behind lifting weights and why you get stronger and your muscles get bigger, right? It tears the muscle off of the bone. It repairs itself in a bigger in a bigger way to in order to repair itself. As the muscle reattaches, it gets bigger. So it's okay. Yeah. Oh, I understand that. Yeah, but you still got to go in the gym and lift the weights to get the benefit. Just because you <laughs> mentally understand it doesn't, right? You know what I mean? So, oh, I mentally understand that. Yeah, but that doesn't mean you can't not go to the gym and lift the weights in order to get stronger. So, you know, to your point, it has to be full integration. And so when I say full integration, there are four expressions or four ways, I guess we could say, uh, in which a human being can sort of express itself. So, and that's, you know, mentally emotionally, verbally, and physically, right? That's essentially the, the four ways that a human being can express itself. So I found, and it's one of the steps in the healing technique, if you combine those four things, if you combine mental visualization, the tangible feeling of it, the verbalization, and you add a physical motion, you are increasing the healing activation exponentially because you're commanding every possible ex- form of expression and unifying it into one thing. And that's another way to look at magic, too. It's, the, it's still the same thing. You're commanding all of yourself towards one goal. So you would see it in your mind's eye. You would tangibly 
feel what it's like to do it. You would verbalize what it is that you were doing, and you can give yourself some kind of physical motion that symbolizes and encapsulates the single directive. And that's what I call full activation of your healing intention. Put all four of those things, harmonize them, unify them into one thing. If all of your energy is going in one direction, that has a far greater chance of coming into manifestation than if it was dispersed. So part of doing magic is to harness all of yourself, mind, body, the whole thing, your entire body of energy, harness it, put it into one direction, command it with complete devotion and dedication, and that has a far greater chance of coming into reality than not. Absolutely, and I think something people have to know is this doesn't mean you just do it 20 minutes a day and then expect major change. It's <clears throat> it's repeated, it's continuous, it's on a it, it's something that you that becomes part of your reality in order for you mm-hmm. to make these kind of changes. It's not something that you know. Well, 20 minutes a day, I can do that. Well, no, that's not that. It's it's, it's kind of like living it before you become it type stuff. It's yeah, awesome. you got it. It's 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 the embodiment, and that's why I talk a lot about the ego mind identity because that's the block. The ego mind identity wants to go to its old habits. Oh, I feel better now. I can go back to you know what I was doing before. No, hey, you go back to what you're doing before. You're gonna bring you're, you're gonna bring it back, right? So, the ego mind identity is really our collection of identifications, which then lead into habits, right? So, it's understanding the ego mind identity and how it functions, and then being able to work past that or telling it to go in the back seat. And being able to to work without it. Now, it's just what you said. It's the embodiment of this. It's not like I'll do it for five or ten minutes. You actually have to be this higher vibration, this higher frequency. Because the higher vibration, the higher frequency is what heals. Lower frequency determining. Vibrating in a higher frequency. It automatically heals the harmony. And by removing the ego mind identity, that's what keeps a soul having a low-frequency experience because it's identifying with the body-mind complex, which is attuned to the low frequencies of this environment. So when you detach from the identification with the body-mind complex, you are naturally going to raise in frequency and raise in vibration. And then by doing the steps that have been outlined in this book, you can actually heal and repair yourself because you have detached from the identification with the sickness and disease itself. It's sort of like the Grand Canyon. Um the Grand Canyon started as a little stream and then became a river and then over time it, it, it you know it's it's time will create it but you have to have consistency it's it's like watching mm-hmm. it's like watching a, a a stream begin how it will trickle in certain directions and then enough water comes that it's it's made a dent in the in the earth and then the water follows that pattern and then the longer it follows it the, the greater it becomes and, and the greater energy is able to throw, flow through that pattern. And as that happens, mm. rivers and oceans are formed. So that, so that it's a matter, I, I think people have to understand that, that, that it's, it's not being the trickle, it's becoming the ocean. Yeah, yeah, you, I mean, exactly. So think about how we spend our day. Like so, at a job, basically, right? Doing a job or at a job at at work, or right? So, eight hours a day, roughly, you know, whatever it is, right? 
So we get good at our jobs, you know, pretty quickly because we're doing it so much, right? We just start to get incredibly proficient. And all of a sudden we can do this. And if someone just first walked in and they're like, holy cow, I can't do any of that stuff. How, I, this is so beyond me. And you're doing it even without thinking, right? Because you, you have put forth the dedication and the effort to learn what it is that you need to do. Imagine if you spend eight hours a day healing yourself. Oh, yeah. Imagine all the imagine all the energy. Think about this for a second, Barbara. All the energy that we use to think, to emote, and to animate the body on a single day. Imagine you took all of that and focused it completely on the one thing that needs repair within your body. All of that energy going to that one single thing. People would be repairing and healing themselves like crazy because they have dedicated themselves. Just like you said, it starts out small and then all the energy starts going towards that one thing. Eventually, it does become the Grand Canyon. Eventually, you are healed. Eventually, you become self-realized. You've left behind what, how you started out through the dedication, through the constant dedication. And for my, listen, for myself, I didn't snap my fingers and all of a sudden I could walk. That's crazy. I dedicated myself like my life depended on it. I was relentless in the application of these teachings to myself. I never stopped until I could walk. The only time I stopped was to fall asleep, eat, or to do the physical or occupational therapy. That's the only time I stopped. And actually, when I was doing the physical therapy, I was actually still doing these things. I did this until I arrived. So if we're going to drive to the store and we set our GPS, to go to the store. Does anyone just pull over halfway and say, oh, that's, that's good enough. I'll stop here. <laughs> no. Right? Okay. So it's a silly analogy, but think about what I'm saying. You never get to the store. You only get to the store because you keep going until you get there. I didn't stop working on myself like I was obsessed because it's past obsession, really. I didn't stop working on myself until I could stand up and walk around. Why stop? Well, you – Like why – You are, Yeah, why stop halfway you, to the store, you know? Well, you also um, isolated yourself, mm-hmm. which, which you know, mm-hmm. I think is brilliant. I mean, you know, no one, no one who is going to in any way put a negative thought or anything into your world uh, was just not allowed in. And, and you explained to them beforehand that you were doing this process and that, you know, you would get back to them as soon as you were done. But um, that's that's the other part. You you kept yourself away from any negative influences or negative thoughts or any feelings of oh poor you or any of that, so that so that you didn't pick up any of those kind of things that happen to people. And you know when people are sick, the people come in and go oh poor you and what does the doctor say and on and on and on. When you didn't have that, which is really a cool thing, you were able to isolate yourself. Yeah, I knew I needed to focus. So, uh, absolutely. Um, I mean, I mean, let's let's be clear about while I was in the hospital rehab, all I ever heard was that I was permanently paralyzed by every expert that exists. Mr. Spina, you know, you got to get your your helm retrofitted. You're a paraplegic, and make sure you have all these medications all the time because you're going to have to take all these medications every day for the rest of your life because you have these chronic diseases. So, I wasn't able to remove myself. From that, 
well, I couldn't move at all. So there was no removing <laughs> anywhere I couldn't move, right? So I was stuck there, right, literally and figuratively. But I was bombarded with – and now remember, these people had good intentions. These are doctors and surgeons, right? But all they did was film me, film me or try to film me, film me, excuse me, film me with the, the limitation of your paralyzed, the limitation of your diabetic. You have Hashimoto's. You have pancreatitis. You have sepsis. You have, that's, that, was, that was the reality, and that's all they kept saying to me. I never identified with it. I mean it. Not one second. I, I know what I am. And I knew what I was going to do. And I don't care who said what. It made no difference to me. I was kind. I was respectful. They would tell me, you know, this is impossible, blah, blah, blah. I would say, I appreciate that. Thank you. Now, on your way out, close the door behind you. I got work to do. <laughs> right? So, so I never took it on board. Okay? And then while doing that, and remember, they wanted to help me. But that, that, that stuff doesn't help heal somebody. I mean, how does that help somebody heal themselves? It doesn't. Right? Okay. So, but they thought they were helping me. That's fine. So now while I was also in the hospital rehab for two months, Barbara, the other thing that I did is that, you know, that you're alluding to, right, is that I uh, obviously my friends and family were freaked out, you know, because obviously it was, a big, it was a big problem. I was almost dead, paralyzed, et cetera. But I literally told them right away, I really mean it. I, I told my partner, I said, do me a favor, tell everybody, no texts, no calls, no emails, no nothing. I have to supremely focus on what I need to do. I cannot be distracted by explaining to my mom what the di- diagnosis is, by telling my dad how the surgery went, by telling my, my aunts and uncles what all the medications. It's going to help me heal. That's a waste of my energy, and I knew that. And so I knew I had to harness all of my energy and harness my higher mind. So I literally told my partner, I said, tell everyone I appreciate it. I love all you guys. But in the best way, leave me alone, and I'll let you. I'll contact you when I'm when I'm walking around again because I'm going to walk. And until then, thank you. I love you, and you know I'll talk to you later. So I had to do that. I didn't let any of what the doctors and nurses, kind people, educated people, filling me with all of their limitations based upon what they've experienced before. And I used to tell them, your past experience has got nothing to do with me. That's your past experience that has nothing to do with me. And it doesn't. It's nothing to do with me. That's their experience. I'm having my own. So they knew not to, after a while, they knew not to even bring up any of that stuff because I would just look at them like, you know, you're done talking because I'm, I'm not interested. Uh, and then I did remove myself, Barbara. And this is very important for anyone that can remove themselves from any what I call low-frequency distraction, right? And it can come in the form of people really caring about you, right? I'm not saying, you know, don't talk to anyone because they're all jerks or something. It's that they care, but they're going to help reinforce, you know, the temporary situation. They're going to make it a bigger deal. They're going to worry about it. They're going to be anxious about, it. oh my God, how are you going to do that? Is that really possible? Oh, you're going to have to take the medication. I'm so worried. You got to take. I didn't bother with any of this. I didn't want to be distracted by any of it. I knew it would rob me of the energy that I needed to heal myself. So, anyone that can remove themselves, whether it's you know get a get a room or, you know, stay in the bedroom or stay in the den or stay in the basement. Focus, focus, focus. We get results from focus, right? So I was, you know, relentless. I was relentless, but I did, I disassociated myself from friends and family. I told them I never took on board what my very surgeon, 
who two days after the surgery told me my condition was permanent, literally just came up to me and said, hey, you know, you should be okay now. We got rid of the infection, but, you know, you're, you're permanently paralyzed. You, you, you're never going to walk again, but your spine is too damaged, right, on day two. So it's like, of course I'm going to walk. And I think in the beginning, Barbara, I, I remember one time he looked at me when I said that I'm going to put myself back together. It's not a problem because I could, believe it or not, I could sort of read his mind as well. So he was thinking yeah. that I was, in a state of de- I was in a state of denial, right, that I had not accepted the fact that I'm now permanently paralyzed from the chest down because I walked into the hospital, right? I walked in, became paralyzed, and then required emergency surgery. So I walked in initially, and then the, the infection, literally, I could feel it. It literally crushed my spine. And I became paralyzed, and they rushed me in for emergency surgery. And he, he told me, he said, the damage to your spine is, is way too severe. You're never going to walk again. But when I first told him I was going to do it, I could tell. He's like, okay, this, he's in denial. This is a lot to handle. You know, permanently paralyzed, very sick. He's but then I saw him again about six days later. I asked for a copy of my MRI, which, by the way, is on the video on my, the homepage of my website, you can see a video of me unparalyzed myself, MRI. Oh, everything is time-stamped because I, I knew no one would believe this was possible. But he came in. He touched my toe. Can you feel this, Mr. Spina? No. You know, so, yeah, he was writing me off, which I understand. I, I, I get it. He, no one's ever recovered, and he said it. But I, I said, Dr. Kreshi, I need a copy of my MRI. And he, you know, this is a brilliant man, by the way, in terms of his education. A brilliant man. He's like, what do you... What do you want your MRI for? I said, I want to see specifically where my spine was damaged because I'm going to put it back together. And I said it, Barbara, just like I just said it, just like our conversation. I meant it. I meant it. It wasn't like I'm going to waste my time and just ask for an MRI and I'm delusional. Give me the MRI. I need to see it because I want to see where it's damaged. I'm going to put it back together. And the look in his eye when I said that, something shifted in him. I was no longer delusional, even though maybe that statement sounded delusional, but the vibe I was giving off was anything but delusional. It was total empowerment. It was total enlightenment. It was total self-mastery. I knew I was going to put myself back together. I explained it, and I'll never forget the look in his eye when I asked for that. He started nodding his head. He didn't even realize he was nodding his head. He was almost into it. He's like, yeah, right on. Put your spine back together. And when I went to go visit him, Maybe maybe about 75, 80, 80 days later, I could walk. I still needed a little bit of a walker, but I could do it. I made an appointment with him to go see him. And he has his own office. You know, there's three neurosurgeons, and he's a fantastic surgeon. Three neurosurgeons, and I, and I walked in, and he's at the end of the hall with the two other neurosurgeons. And he sees me standing there, right? I had my walker, but I was standing there, right? He sees me, and he literally almost starts jogging to me. He's so excited. This brilliant man was reduced to saying the word ginormous three times <laughs> because, because what he was seeing was beyond his understanding. It was outside of his realm of knowledge, his realm of experience, his realm of education. And he was literally almost like, you know, when we tap our finger to our lips going, he's like, this is yeah. ginormous. It's absolutely ginormous. He didn't know what to say. And I said, I told you I was going to walk. He goes, you were right. You were right. So What, a, what an incredible what was, gift you gave to him because that re- removed his limitation of what could happen. 
Yeah. In fact, I, I even I even said to him, I said, you're never going to tell anybody that it's impossible to recover from this again, are you? And he's like, no, I won't. So, yeah, absolutely. He's no longer allowed to say, you, you know, you can't get better because that's what he said to me. He said, you can't get better. It's impossible. You're permanently paralyzed. Well, he's never going to say that again because now he can say, well, you know what? I, I know one guy. He did it. He did it. And he said he would do it. So everyone, Barbara, I promise, this may be extreme right now, okay, but someone has to do it first and explain it, and that gives permission for everyone else. Remember when the four-minute mile was considered impossible? Absolutely impossible. It's humanly impossible to run a sub-four-minute mile. Don't bother trying. No one's ever done it. No one's ever going to do it. And then Roger Bannister did it. I think it was in the, in the 50s. Roger Bannister did it. He broke. He did the. He's the first person to run a sub four minute mile. It had never been done. He was told it was impossible too. Yeah, and six weeks later, someone else did it. And since then, twenty thousand people have run a sub four minute mile, including high school students. Once it's downloaded into the collective consciousness, it gives permission for everyone else to do it themselves. Putting yourself back together isn't going to be some weird oddball story by someone like myself. Everyone is going to be able to do it, and they're going to start doing it. Well, I think that, that, and you know, it applies not only to the physical, but to the mental and emotional aspects within us as well. Mm. You know, yeah, physical it's, it's, is the most, yep. you know, the most pronounced, but the other areas are important too. Absolutely, 100%. And you know what's interesting about that, Barbara, is that when we say healing, right, when we talk about healing, almost everybody immediately thinks of the body. Yeah. Right? Okay, that's because of our identification with the, with the body. And that's what we have to overcome. Right there, the identification with the body. Healing, they immediately think of physical because we immediately identify with the physical body. And that is the foundational aspect of the ego mind identity is identification with the body. And when that starts to change, so will our ability to self-heal as well as achieve authentic self-realization. It's amazing. I, I think also the other the other thing that you 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 touched upon gently, I might add, is past lives mm-hmm. and yeah. how they can apply well, to this. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, if we carry with us. Okay, and, and this also then starts to, believe it or not, relate to uh, karma, okay, which, which is a whole other thing, and we can get into that a little bit. But, um, and I, I, I've done a long talk on karma. People want to go to my website. There's a whole hour of me uh, being interviewed, and the whole subject is karma and how it actually works. But in terms of past lives, Barbara, yeah. So we are sentient, given a, a complement or a body of energy to create with. That's the energy that we use to think, emote, and, and move the body around. Okay. So if that energy becomes attached to something, right, that energy stays with us, okay? And then the next time that we come back, that energy still has that attachment, that misunderstanding, that misprogramming, that misidentification. It's not germane to us, and it throws off our system. So therefore, we sometimes, and not, not all the time, but sometimes we bring in something, some kind of traumatic event or, or something like that. It's already in our body of energy. And so that's also what helps promote sickness, disease. Uh, birth defects are often, uh, are often the misidentification that has occurred from a previous lifetime 
And that misidentification through some sort of traumatic event is so profound that it actually gets into the energetic templates, which is the form and function of the body itself. And once that information gets in the energetic templates, when it gets translated into our DNA, there's a problem. And then, therefore, we end up with, with a birth defect. Now, now, I've experienced this directly. So this is not a theory. This is actually what I experienced directly when I've worked with people. So what's in our body of energy, and which is obviously from previous lifetimes, absolutely can greatly affect uh, our state of health and what we experience in the current lifetime. Well, what about prodigies? How about someone who had a great talent or gift in a past life? Is yeah. that energetic then carried along too? Well, okay. So, uh, like, I'm thinking of like a piano, like a you know someone who's three years old is playing Mozart or something like that, right? You know, right. a kid playing. Yeah. Okay. Now, and that was just the image that came to me. But so, okay. Now that you're that from my understanding, you're correct, but it's just a slightly different. So that's sentience. So sentience, which is what we really are. That's our love and wisdom, and the subsets of our love and wisdom are our talents and abilities. Okay, so being able to play a piano is not directly love and wisdom, but it's a subset within sort of the, the higher mind of God, within, within love and wisdom. So the talents and abilities are not necessarily our energy. Okay, the talents and abilities are actually part of what we actually are. And then we use our energy to express the talents and abilities. Now, sometimes that sentience was developed through another lifetime of, of being a virtuoso. Other times, as weird as it sounds, other times we actually are the higher self, which is we're a, a smaller piece of the higher self, just like a tentacle is part of the octopus. We're kind of a tentacle of a much larger being called the higher self. The higher self, which is what we really are, we're just a piece of it, will imbue the, the aspect of the soul with what it wants to imbue it with. And so sometimes we'll come into an incarnation with a whole bunch of talents and abilities that we've never actually displayed before as an individual, but they've been part of the larger being that we actually are, but we're going to have a lifetime where we're going to get to experience it. So it's the sentience that has the talents and abilities, and then it's our energy that we use to be able to express it. Okay. What about the remembering past lives? And that yeah, is... that's, well, yeah, absolutely. Um, we can remember our past lives. Uh, we can actually go to our higher self, where we come from, and view them all. Well, we don't even have to remember. We can actually experience them. And this is actually something that I, that I teach. There's a, there's a meditation that you can do to return back. You go right back up the hairline, which is the, the tube of white light that we get projected down through, and it's the white light and the tube that everyone sees upon their, their quote-unquote near death. It's the same thing that you come in here that you're going to leave through. If you travel back up that through directed meditation, you can return all the way back up to what you really are, which is your higher self, and you will actually see all your incarnations, past and future, which can be quite trippy, by the way, because now you're above logic and linearity. You're outside of time space. So past, future doesn't exist the way it does for our finite mind. It's all concurrent. It's all now. There's just now. So you would see all of it. And so that's the way that you can actually experience your past lives. And then sometimes there is, it gets embedded within the cellular memory 
of some of the lifetimes that we have, and we literally just start to remember. Um, but that's a different way. So we can actually sometimes remember it, feel it. Places are familiar. People are familiar. Certain things are familiar. Okay, well, because yeah. yeah, or we can go direct, or you know, right to the horse's mouth. We can go right back up to the higher self and literally see it all, the whole thing, every lifetime ever. It, that requires dedication and discipline and a certain meditation, but I teach that, and it's something that I've, I did with myself years and years and years ago, which was very helpful for me, uh, for me to get a better handle, so to speak, on why I'm so weird. It's like it, it allowed me to understand and work, work better with the incarnation. It's like, oh, this makes sense. You know, without me being specific, I've been a weirdo in lots of other lifetimes, so it makes sense. So it, it was very helpful for me uh, to understand why I'm different, why I'm able to do weird things and understand different weird things. And when I was able to experience my higher self in these other lifetimes, it all made perfect sense. And it was very comforting, frankly, for me. It allowed me to really settle into this incarnation, Barbara, a lot better. Because no matter how advanced or powerful or whatever uh, – when you're experiencing these really extraordinary states of consciousness and you have no really frame of reference for it, you can wonder what in the world is going on with me. I mean, what, what is happening here? Why am I experiencing? Why do I know these things? Why am I experiencing these things? Why do I just leave my body? Like, what is this? You know, you almost like, am, am I, is there something wrong with me? Like, this is so weird. Am I really doing this? Is this really happening? And so when I actually, um, I guess, developed that meditation to, to go back to what I really am, and I was able to perceive all these incarnations. It's one of the more important moments of my life in terms of my own self-realization. It allowed me to work with the incarnation better and to understand myself better, and it gave me tremendous peace of mind as to, like I said, just why I'm a weirdo. Why am I just so different and odd and understand these things and do these things? It made all perfect sense, and it really allowed me to settle in and lead a much more uh, productive incarnation because I really tangibly knew who and what I was. Well, assuming that as spirit, we are part of the infinite, the source, God, whatever term you want to use, what is the purpose of the journey that we're on? Where are we going? Well, we're... Right, that's the question, isn't it? Okay, so in in essence, we're not going anywhere because we're inside of God and we are part of God. Okay, so we're on this endless journey to nowhere, <laughs> sort of, <laughs> sort of, right? Okay, so we're not really, you know, literally going anywhere. Now, the, the, the multiversal structure that God created is actually within God, and it's so gigantic, it defies any kind of way that I could, that I could describe it, okay? It's endless. Maybe that's a better way to say it. It's just endless. Okay, so the, the directive of all existence, as, as I understand it, it's my, my understanding is that the only directive is to know thyself and all of our infinite potential. Now, every creation and every creation of a creation, it has that one directive, to know itself and all our infinite potential. It's exactly that. It's infinite. It's never-ending. So in that sense, what we're really going to do is we're going to explore every nook and cranny of God's multiverse, all these different frequencies, all these different dimensions, all these different realities, all these different parallel realities, we're going to explore every single nook and cranny of it. And as we explore that, we're learning about ourselves. God is learning about itself through its creations. So it's this never-ending sort of process. It's, it's a self-created, self-directed, and self-correcting 
consciousness through constant exploration and creativity in order to know thyself. And so it doesn't end the incarnate here, different frequencies, different dimensions, different planets, as human, as alien, etc., etc. And it's never ending because you can never fully know yourself because the self is limitless. I have a little different opinion. It feels to me as though as a spark of the infinite, the journey that mm-hmm. we're on, though it may seem endless, is not actually endless. That there will come a time when we have gathered so much that we become another source of creation. We will all actually become source entities or gods ourselves. Yeah. That's what will that's what and but in that sense though there there is no end point. It's the same thing but different. So all of us our higher self, what we really are a part of, will actually become God itself. And it's it another frequency. Been, it's a whole other dimension, yeah. It's a, it's a whole other thing. But the, the knowing thyself is endless because you can never actually know what is endless, what is limitless in terms of its potential. But, yeah, we, we become – the higher self becomes our own God. And then we create an environment. It might not be like the, the – the environment that our God created, the multiverse, but we will create an environment and we will learn about ourselves through what it is, through the environment that we create and what we populate the environment with, the creations of the creations of the creations, just like we are a creation of a creation of a creation. We're a creation of our higher self and a higher self is a creation of God. We're going to do the same thing eventually from a linear perspective, eventually. Oh, yeah. And, but I that mean, I mean. But that too, yeah, that eventually, that doesn't end either because that will turn into something else as well. It's really cool, isn't it? It's in, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's past, it's past cool, Barbara. I don't even know what, I don't even know what, maybe it's ginormous, like my uh, neurosurgeon said. It's, (laughs) it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's beyond, it's beyond what we can really comprehend. And even direct intelligent interaction with God, and that's in the second book, you know, real conversations with God and, and what's garnered there is is going to be very different from other, we'll say, people that have talked to God or channeled God. Um, it's so unfathomable, the consciousness that, that is God, and, and I could feel itself reducing itself just so I could communicate with it. It's this infathomable intelligence that's beyond, well beyond all of us. Um, but, you know, what was really interesting, Barbara, is that the direct communication with, with God which will be in the, in the next book, is I could feel this this level of intelligence that is so far beyond me, and it was reducing itself just so I could communicate with it. But at the same time, it had the playfulness of a child. The oh, innocence, yeah. The purity. And that was so striking to me. I'll never, you know, I'll never forget it. And by the way, the moment that I lost my playfulness, I got disconnected from God. Oh, so the only, yeah, the only I, way, yeah, yeah. I, I think the one thing that people don't understand is that God, the supreme creator, whatever you want, had to have had a sense of humor. Had to, I mean, there, there, there have been times when I've had, when I've talked to God, and, you know, I hear laughter. It's sort of like, you know, are you kidding me? 
and you know it's 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 there i think the one thing that is missing in the bible in every book out there is the fact that that there is humor and laughter and joy in communicating with the infinite it, barbara it is so funny you're talking about that. i literally did an interview this morning and we were talking about that god created humor we were literally talking about this and and so it you know it's absolutely right it, it it's for us to not take ourselves so seriously and, to, and so we can remind ourselves that this is actually just playtime to enjoy yourself that to find the well, humor yeah. in everything because yeah it, it's amazing that you're bringing that up that's, that's just such a deja vu <laughs> synchronicity um well there there are people that have cured themselves from cancer by laughing yeah, I mean it. Yeah. It happens. They, you know, they they say uh, laughter is the best medicine. It truly is. And and I mean, I have I have talked to people who were at their husband's funeral, and um, I won't relate the story. It's too long and too weird. But but her husband had died from a very unusual circumstance, and they hadn't had a good marriage anyhow, and so. She called me to tell me he was dead, and I asked how, and she told me, and I started to laugh, and she started to laugh. And she was at the funeral. She stepped out to call me and to have a good laugh because, you know, it was funny how he went. And and it was um, – and afterwards she, she, she said, I have to dry my eyes. And I said, oh, I wouldn't dry them. I'd go in and they can think you were tearful over what happened. And she said, you got a point. Right. And – but but without laughter, I don't think you can have love. Yeah, it, I, I, it's in the book. I talk about how to heal yourself with laughter. I literally put it in there in terms of the four directions of consciousness as it, as it relates to to what things that we can use. And laughter is essential. It's absolutely essential. It's a higher vibratory state. It's joy. It's absolute joy. And you can and and I use that for my own healing. I, I literally talk about it in the book. To use laughter, it is an expression of joy. It's a high vibratory state that alchemizes any sort of lower frequency disharmony that's going on within your body. Absolutely, and you know, when when I work with people, it's like, you know, I'll listen to their stories until they've they've, in my opinion, said enough, and then then I then I introduce laughter and joy, and it's sort of like we get to when the very first time. Best best explanation here. Um, I'm an ordained minister, and the very first time I stood in front of a congregation, I was so into the seriousness of the experience that I not only put the congregation to sleep, I put the organist to sleep, and I may have taken a short nap, too. I'm not real sure. I did forget to take the collection, so I probably did, too. And I was sure they would never ask me back, but they did. And the only criticism they had was, don't forget to take the collection. And I realized that if I could get them to belly laugh, and and I I refused to do sermons, I said, look, I'll tell you how I screwed up, and so you can invent your own way of screwing up, but I'll give you the lesson it taught me so that you don't have to go through that yourself. And I found that the more I could get them laughing about these spiritual lessons, these 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 wonderful cosmic laws that are out there, if I could get them laughing, I knew I had planted a seed that would grow. Mm. And yeah. and it is 
so, it's so true. It's without a sense of humor, without laughter, you bore people to death and they go to sleep on you. Well, hopefully they don't die. But, but you know, they, they just kind of drift off. But if, if, if you get them to the point where they're listening for the punchline, they're paying attention. Yeah. And, and it, was, it was, I think, one of my biggest aha moments ever. I never put them to sleep again. And, and I got yeah, invited yeah. back a lot. Yeah, the uh, humor. Uh, I mean, can you imagine life without humor? No. Uh, yeah, exactly. It torture. It'd be torture, right? It would be torture. It's it's very it's it's very undervalued and probably not fully understood about that laughter is us experiencing joy, and joy oh, yeah. is our natural state. And the reason why it's the best medicine is because. Joy is what we are. It's a high vibratory state, and it literally does alchemize disease. It alchemizes and heals cancer. And it is in the book. I talk, and even beyond healing, I mean, is there literally anything better than a real, sincere, hearty belly laugh? I don't. I don't know if there is. No. And and it's it's just it it to me was, I mean, it taught me an important lesson. And you know, I I am a very joyful person, and and I will, and and I I have to also point out that that always the brunt of all of the stuff that I told from the pulpit was you know how I screwed up, and and so you know I never never told the story about how somebody else messed up. I had enough mess ups, so I had plenty of material, but but it's just it's sort of like understanding that that if you can laugh at any situation and I'm talking any situation inappropriate mm-hmm. at funeral stuff like that but except in some experience you know but but it's it's finding the humor finding the laugh the the laughter it disperses fear it disperses tension mm-hmm. it, you, you let mm-hmm. go and you're able to focus it takes you to another i think frequency Mm. Uh, Barbara, it's it's in the book. There was, um, it was part of occupational therapy. So I, w- I was still in the hospital rehab because I was there for a couple months. And so part of the occupational therapy is so you can function when you get released. It's like, you know, be able to brush your teeth, uh, put your put your, you know, because when you're paralyzed, all these things become a you know a challenge, right? So part yeah. of what we were doing that day, what we were doing that day was to put my socks and sneakers on. Okay, and like I said, when you're paralyzed, you know, from the chest down, putting your socks and sneakers on is not, you know, it's not that easy. Once you know how to do it, it becomes easier. But in the beginning, it's like, how in the world am I going to put my? I can't move, you know. So anyway, the point is, is that for that day, we were going to work on putting socks and my socks and sneakers on. So the the two occupational therapists come in, my nurse is in there, and then I think someone who was training uh, to become an occupational therapist was in was in the hospital room, and they're all there. And uh, she comes in, and she puts on the side of my hospital bed. She puts my socks, and she puts my sneakers. And she's like, okay, RJ, let's, let's go over you know, what we learned in terms of they give you like these lasso loops. You kind of lasso your leg and bring it up to you. That's the only way to do uh-huh. it. Stop, you obviously, you can't move, right? So she's got the socks and sneakers next to me. She goes, okay, let's go over what we talked about yesterday, right? And let's, let's work on bringing the legs up. And then putting the socks on and putting and putting the sneakers on. So I was like, "All right, let's do it." Right. So I 
grab the rope, the lasso to do it, and I accidentally knock over um, my sneakers, right? So they, they fall to the ground. And I was obviously lying down in my hospital bed, right? Now, when you're paralyzed, getting things off the floor is really hard. It just, it just is. It's really hard, right? So anyway, so I knocked them off my bed by accident. And I turn to the occupational therapist and I say, don't worry, I'll get it. It's not like I'm paralyzed. <laughs> and so, right, exactly. So I laughed. Two of the occupational, you know, I never took any of, I never took what was going on seriously. I never made it heavy, which made it easy to transcend. I kept it light the whole time, the whole time. And anyone who's listening who's having a hard time about anything, about anything, don't make it so heavy. You, you'll be able to overcome it when you make it very light. And I made paralysis oh, yeah. and just make it light, enjoy yourself. It makes it easier for you to overcome. When you give it weight, you give it gravitas, it, 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 the burden becomes heavy. It becomes impossible. But if you joke about it, all of a sudden, the whole thing is light and it's easy to transcend. Oh, gosh, yeah. I had, um, I had a severe accident a long time ago. And it gave me vertigo, and I can mm. remember, you know, it was it. Uh, there were there were many times that I went to the floor, and um, without help. And at one point, I I was on the floor, and my mother said, do you, "Do you want me to help you?" And I said, "No, you know, this just this." I, I had a brilliant thought here, and she said, "What's that?" And I said, "Well, I'm on the floor a lot. I should contact carpeting companies." to see if they need anybody to examine the pile. Since I'm down here, it seems like I should be able to earn money. And she, she you know, and and she looked at me, and, and I started to laugh, and she started to laugh, and she said, do you really think so? And I said, I don't know, but I'm going to check it out tomorrow because there, there might be a positive to this after all. It turns out nobody wanted a pile examiner, but and I did call a couple of carpet places. I, I don't, I don't think they knew how talented you really were, Barbara. So maybe <laughs> if you had like a letter of recommendation, if you had a letter of recommendation, maybe for some people that you've done this before, I think maybe you could have gotten some employment, and made made some bucks out of it. It's a thought. Unfortunately, I don't go to the ground anymore. But if that happened, <laughs> I think. I, I'm, I might be able to turn it into a really good job. Yeah, I I think you would end up making it quite lucrative. I really do. The Probably. humor humor is I, I mean like a, in a way in a way life is almost just it, it's I think we said it before it's almost torturous if you can't laugh, including at yourself. It, it stops you from the, the ego mind identity taking itself so seriously when you're able to laugh. At yourself, and I think it actually shows a real level of self-awareness too. Self-deprecating humor—I don't mean making fun of other people. Self-deprecating humor, I think, says a lot about the level of self-awareness. If you can find yourself humorous, the humor in some of the, the thoughts, the emotions, and, and the, the the actions that we wind up doing in the circumstances we find ourselves in—I think it speaks volumes to our to our level of self-awareness, actually. Well, I I remember one one girl, a friend of mine said, you know, oh poor you, you have this, and you know, it, it, is it debilitating? And I looked at her and said, not so awfully much. And she said, what did you mean? And and now I was in my early thirties then, and I said to her, I can grab any 
nice-looking single man's arm and say, oh, I'm sorry, can you help me for just a second? I have vertigo, and I think I'm going to fall, and I need your help. Mm. And she looked at me, and she said, how often do you pull this? And I said, a lot more frequently than I should. <laughs> it was a great opening line. Yeah, it, it is. And it, it is. Humor? It, it did it didn't hurt that I actually did fall now and then, so you know it was you know it wasn't a lie. You know, it's, it's legitimate. It's it's you it's legitimate without a doubt. It, it it gave you carte blanche to use that line whenever you wanted to, for sure. Absolutely, and I did. <laughs> somebody said somebody said to me, "Is it really that serious?" And I said, "No, I think it's more advantageous. You know, I'll be sad if it ever goes away totally, and it hasn't." So, I mean, I don't grab people as often as once I did, but um, especially with a pandemic. But, um, but it was like, this is not a handicap. This is a benefit. Let me use it. And, and you know, yeah. I had lots of benefits. Yeah, we, we, can, we can alchemize any situation if we come at it with a certain perspective. And one way to come at it, is to come to come to it with humor, that's for sure. Yeah, and and you know, is it is it funny if somebody has vertigo? No, but it was funny when I had vertigo, and and it, it's it's sort of like it's your uh, key phrase. I don't know where it came from, but it's you create your reality by your perspective of it, and I mm-hmm. chose to always find something to laugh at, and sometimes yeah. it I- and and. I, and I have to admit, sometimes it took a long time to figure it out. But once I figured it out, I milked it for all it was worth. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, we we have a lot in common. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's use it for heaven's sakes. You know, it's uh, it. My mother, my mother was supposed to be in. She had trouble walking, and she refused to use the wheelchair. And I kept saying to her please, can we use a wheelchair? And she would say, nope, I can walk. And I finally said to her, we went to a, an expo of some sort, and I said, now look, um, I'm going to sit in the chair and you can push me. But with a wheelchair, we get to the head of the line before anybody else does. And we get mm-hmm. to the front of everything because we're in a wheelchair. And ten minutes later, she, she rolled me to the side and said, get out. And I said, why? And she said, I figure out it's a good idea. And and so we, so I pushed her around, but it was more fun when she was pushing me. Yeah, there, you, there are. Some, believe me, I know. I, I, for a brief period of time, I was in a wheelchair. Yeah, you get good parking. You get good parking spots. You go, yeah. you go to the front of the line. Um, you don't have to. You don't have to wait. You, you do get. Uh, you can. You can get a diva complex because people do cater to you a little bit when they see you in a wheelchair. But uh, you know, I know it's great. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. so. You know, you can you can you can be first. You can get more room. You get the better parking space. People actually get out of your way. They hold the door for you. Um, but like I said, you can get a diva complex. So if you if you start to expect that, <laughs> well, it, it 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 was fun for a while. But no, I think I think I just noticed our time. We're almost out of time here. Um, this has been such fun. I, I thank you so very much for taking the time out of your day to spend time with us. Um, 
you want to give people the name of your website and how to get a hold of you and stuff like that? Sure, sure. And it's been my pleasure, Barbara, and I've enjoyed every second of it. Thank you very much for having me. Um, the name of the book is Supercharged Self-Healing. My website is ascendthefrequencies.com, ascendthefrequencies.com. And my email, oddly enough, is rj at ascendthefrequencies.com. Easy to do, easy. I, I think that your book is such a gift, and, and I really, I'm so glad you wrote it. I'm I'm sorry. No, I'm not. I think being injured put out some really fabulous material, and when you stop to think about it, the fact that you survived so beautifully is a great tool and a great teaching tool for other people to look at and say, well, if he can do it, I can do it. Yeah, and, precisely. Uh, I, I Believe it or not, I wouldn't trade the the agonizing experience of the pain and paralysis and going through it for anything because I learned more about myself and what we're all capable of through that experience and I would never trade it for anything in the world. No, and, and you know, you, you've got so far to go yet. It's really very, very exciting. Um, just my, my alarm went off, so um, I want to thank you so much. I so appreciate your time and your energy and your book, and I look forward to the books yet to come. So keep in touch, please. I, I will. Thank you again for having me, Barbara. It's been my pleasure. My, well, my pleasure, too. And, and of course, everybody else who has been listening. Um, make sure you tune in tomorrow night because uh, Mark, Mark Eddy has a show tomorrow night. And, of course, next Monday. Thanks so much, everybody. This will be up on YouTube shortly. And um, check it out. Check out the other interviews that we've done, and if any of it appeals to you in any way, shape, or form, please follow or subscribe, whatever button it is that's there. That's how we know you're listening, and we really appreciate knowing you're out there while we're sharing our laughter with you. Good night, everybody.